0: It's time to play like a Jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a Jet. What does that mean? Garrett Wilson. Wow! What a catch! Touchdown, Jets! That kid's amazing. Gibson on the return. Nearside! I don't see any flags. Gibson inside the 30. Hits the Jets, and he's gonna go! Jets win it! Touchdown, rookie Xavier Gibson! Game over. Allen has time. Intercepted! Sauce Gardner's got it. Allen tripped up. He could not get past Jermaine Johnson. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall. He's done it again. Brees lightning. 62 yards for the touchdown. And he's sacked again by Quentin Williams. What a
2: beast. Number 95 for the Jets.
1: Listen, thank you. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at jet one And it's time to answer your mailbag questions. So for that, we bring in our friend, who is the editor over at JetNation.com, Mr. Glenn Naughton. Glenn, what's up, brother?
2: Uh, You know, what's up is the uh, the draft is, what, 80-some days away, so we are ramping up our, our prospect watching um, and tweeting, and pro- we just put out our first profile yesterday, Talis Fawaga, because uh, guy could be a Jets target, man. Good player.
1: Glenn, it's a good thing you're taking a look at Talis Fawaga. I've been doing that myself. Like you said, definite Jets target, whether it's a 10 or trading down, and I'm sure we've got plenty of questions about the NFL draft, including one from Peter LaFontaine. He asks, which offensive tackles in the draft could be solid day one starters on the left side? What do you think on that one, Glenn? Because this is tough. There are guys that play a little left, a little right. Then there are guys that don't have experience at left, but they probably could play left. Then there are guys that play left, but are better off playing right in the pros. It's sort of a messy situation when you get into these conversations.
2: I think, you know, the obvious answer, the the number one guy you'd want is Joe Alt out of Notre Dame, right? The guy just, he looks as natural as a guy could look playing the O-line. He's so smooth in everything he does. Um, I've seen a couple of mocks recently that had him falling to the Jets at 10 with you know, with uh, Malik Neighbors and you know a couple of receivers and a and a couple of quarterbacks going before him, I have a hard time seeing Alt, But he is a lock to be a day one starter on the left side. Um, Fashanu, of course, out of Penn State, is is a guy that Daniel Jeremiah recently said he thinks is some teams are souring on because he spent a little bit too much time on the ground. Still, a guy who I think could be a day one NFL starter. Um, I, in fact, I've. He's on my list of guys to watch a little bit more of tonight. Um, Amarius Mims of Georgia. Because you're right, Scott. As you said, some of these guys like J.C. Latham, Tyrese Fuaga, these guys primarily, play, primarily played the right side. And these are your day one tackles um, who you expect teams like the Jets to be looking for. Tyler Guyton played on the right side. But there, there are some other guys later in the draft. Um, like I look at a guy like Delmar Glaze out of Maryland. Great prototypical size. He's somebody I watched earlier in the year. Didn't love and watched a little, you know, watched some of his later games a couple weeks ago, and actually I thought he looked uh, he looked a lot better. Either that, either that, or I didn't, you know, I didn't see what I liked early on, but I did see it now. Day one starter, that's hard to project. Um, But there, there are a couple of guys again, Alt Fashanu, guys like that, Amarius Mims could play the left side. You know, again, depending on who you listen to, I've heard some say they don't think he can at the pro level. I don't think that's necessarily true, but. There's a lot of guys in this class. You're basically going to be asking them to make a switch. You know, a later guy, Javon Foster, who I really like um, out of Mizzou. He's been a really good player in college. Uh, you know, won some matchups against some premier talent in the SEC. I think I've mentioned him a couple times on the show. And I recently heard um, Rick Spielman talking about him. I, I've, you know, I've mentioned I, I do like taking in their podcast the with the first pick. Spielman seems to think Foster is a right tackle or a guard. I've, if I'm the Jets or if I'm a team that takes him... I'm at least looking at him at left tackle first to confirm, you know, can he play the position or not? I I hate when you see a guy get taken and he plays a premier spot and and they don't at least take a look at him because you do see sometimes where guys come into the league and a team may not think he can play a particular spot. He gets forced over there for one reason or another, and he does a nice job. So somebody like Foster, I would take a look at over there and uh, and some of the other guys I mentioned.
1: Glenn, two things. The first thing is, when you look at Tristan Wirfs, who was a right tackle only coming out of college and has been a right tackle with the Bucks, but are all pro right tackle with the Bucks. it makes me realize that the whole right tackle, left tackle thing, people need to get over that to an extent. Now listen, if you have an existing right tackle who's really, really good and you don't think he can be moved and you don't think that the guy that you would be drafting that's primarily a right tackle can be moved then fine, but the Jets are not in that situation, so as far as I'm concerned, they need to focus on just getting the best offensive lineman they can, and so I wouldn't worry too much about the right tackle, left tackle, because that's how you miss out on somebody like Tristan Wirfs. Reportedly, part of the reason that the Jets really liked Mackay Becton over Wirfs is that they viewed Becton as a left tackle, and they didn't think that Wirfs could play right tackle. Ultimately, as we saw, they ended up moving Becton to right tackle at one point, and clearly, they would have been better off with Werfs. So I wouldn't get too caught up in that, especially considering the Jets' situation. Also, Glenn, I got to say, Delmar Glaze. There is some great marketing opportunities there for whoever drafts him. If you're a donut shop,
2: Krispy Kreme, <laughs>
1: Krispy Kreme.
2: But uh, one guy should have mentioned that I left out, Scott. Um, a, a guy who's played left tackle quite a bit. Um, at Houston is Patrick Paul. Um, down in Mobile, he he stood out size. What well. it's weird because. All these guys are so huge. It's, it's weird to think there's one guy that makes everyone else look small, um, but that was Patrick Paul down in Mobile, and he's, he's a guy you could probably plug in on the left side right away. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg,
0: this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore dealmaking across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the
1: world.
0: Plus. Play like a Jet. Play
1: like a Jet. Next question comes in from Kyle Michael. He asks, What are your thoughts on bringing back Connor McGovern? He clearly likes it with the Jets, and it would allow them to have some flexibility on the offensive line. That way, Connor McGovern could play center. They could move titman to guard if they needed to. AVT could go to tackle. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, even if they bring back McGovern and he doesn't start, at least you know he's a capable offensive lineman who can play center or guard, and that's a valuable thing to have. Now, obviously, we don't know what the situation is with him health-wise. I don't know if he wants to continue playing. I don't know if he's going to be fully recovered, but if he does want to keep playing and he's fully recovered and he's willing to come back on a deal similar to the one he was just playing on this past year, which was a very low-cost one-year deal, why wouldn't you bring him back?
2: Yeah, I think when you look at this free agent uh, class at tackle, we're O-line really in general, um, but tackle as well. I know that doesn't apply to McGovern, but McGovern more so I'd be more willing to bring him back. But I feel like my guy Beckton falls under that same boat. Like there aren't a lot of veteran guys that you look at in this class and think, oh, we'd love to bring him back or, you know, we'd love to sign this guy. Um, McGovern, absolutely. Center guard, versatility, experience in the system, likes the team. It's a no-brainer to bring him back. We saw it last year, right? It's, you know, a I said it a few times, kind of tongue in cheek, but there's some truth to it that this offensive line this year would have had to have been 14 deep to survive what they went through. So even if you have a guy like McGovern who might not be a starter, fine. He's a, he's a a veteran player. Who's got a ton of snaps under his belt and you can trust him in a pinch. He's not dominant. He's not great, but he's a good enough, certainly a good enough player to be a backup who can play center or guard. So I think like I look at McGovern and again, I look at Becton and I think, like it or not, with Becton, you may have to entertain the notion of bringing him back. With McGovern, it'll cost you less, a li- little less controversial. He's, he doesn't, you know, he's not made any damning statements about the team. He's not laughing at the coaches on social media. So he's a no-brainer. There may be some thinking to do with Beckton, but I think the lack of available options might make, you know, put both these guys on the table as an option.
1: Kyle Michael also says... Just listened to the Midweek News and Notes show with Nick Faria where you were discussing the possibility of Brandon Ayuk becoming available in a trade. My question is, with the cap, do you think it would be wise to give long-term money to a wide receiver knowing that the Jets will have to pay Garrett Wilson in a couple of years? I love Brandon Ayuk, but think signing a wide receiver on a two-year deal while drafting one would be the move. Well, first of all, I don't know how many of the top wide receivers you're going to get to sign a two year deal. That's number one. Number two. Remember, most of the time when you sign these guys to contracts, they're glorified two or three year deals anyway, because you can get out of them after that. And I think with a guy like Brandon Ayuk, who's 25 years old and one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, I said he's right there in the top 10. Now, if you want to argue he's just outside the top 10, fine. I'm not going to sit here and fight with you on it. I think you can make a very strong case he's in the top 10. And if you look at his efficiency, it's just off the charts awesome. I mean, this is a guy who was 30th in targets and 7th in receiving yards for starters. And he's top 10 in a lot of different metrics, despite the fact that he didn't have anywhere near the targets that a lot of these top wide receivers have. He's perfect for this offense, too. Aaron Rodgers would love him. He gets open very quickly. And I think when you look at Garrett Wilson, he's still got two cheap years and then the fifth-year option. So his new contract wouldn't really be hurting you for three more years. So if you get Brandon Iuk in here and you give him an extension beyond the $14 million he's going to earn this year on the fifth-year option... You really only run into an issue in the first year of Garrett Wilson's new contract. And if you're the Jets and you're in a win-now window with Aaron Rodgers and you've got one to three years, three is the absolute most, one is worst-case scenario, you've got to do everything you can to put elite pieces around Aaron Rodgers. And I think if you get a guy like Brandon Ayuk right now and put him with Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall and you can use draft picks to fix the offensive line at least to a satisfactory level boy are you cooking with gas at that point so i think worrying so much about paying brandon Ayuk when garrett wilson realistically won't have a new contract kick in for three more years wouldn't really worry about it too much you're in all in mode right now and if you get Brandon Ayuk, that really helps the goal. And again, it's going to be a glorified two- to three-year contract you're giving him anyway because that's how these NFL contracts work. Unless you're a quarterback like Kirk Cousins or something like that, then it's fully guaranteed. But even a lot of those quarterbacks, you can get out of it after like two to three years. So that's not something I would worry about too much.
2: Yeah, I think it, I think if he, he can be had, you make a run at him. But I would I would expect the Jets to... to... Add some weapons, you know, through the draft, through free agency. Garrett Wilson, we know he needs somebody on the opposite side. Ayuk obviously would be a great option, thirteen hundred yard guy last year. But there are some guys that you and I have discussed previously on the on the show, Scott. And you know, again, who hits free agency, who doesn't? Sometimes we talk about these guys as if they're gonna as if they're gonna hit the market, and then the team does some you know, some cap gymnastics as, you know, as the uh, as free agency approaches and they retain them. So it's a matter of who becomes available through trade, through free agency. But if we're talking strictly strictly about Ayuk, he's a guy that would be obviously a, a fantastic option opposite Garrett Wilson.
1: Here's one that I threw out the other day, Glenn. I'm curious what you think about this. What if the Jets and the 49ers were able to work out a deal where they would swap first round picks? So the Jets would go from 10 to 31 and they would throw in a twenty twenty five fourth. fourth. And the reason I said that is because it would be just about the same value that Philly gave up for A.J. Brown. So you get Brandon Ayuk, you move down to 31. You could still get a starting caliber offensive lineman at 31 if you're smart about it. And now you would have Brandon Ayuk, and you could potentially still move up from the third round with your two fourth-round picks to get yourself another offensive lineman. If you were able to get two starting-caliber offensive linemen in this draft and walk away with Brandon Ayuk, I think that's a win all the way around. Now, I'm not saying this is something that's going to happen. I'm just saying, as a theoretical, I really like that idea because this is a draft where I think you could get away with trading down because of the sheer depth of quality of offensive linemen in this one
2: yeah that's a a point i've brought up a few times this year with with the jets as far as moving down i've you know i keep these people keep telling me we need a tackle we need a tackle we need an offensive lineman i mean i don't know how many more people have to say it like there are a lot of them in this class if if there was ever a year to move down if you need a tackle or just the the O line in general this is the year to do it because you're going to there will be day one starting caliber lineman on the board now will there be a top five or six tackle who you think can start that all depends. Cause as we've seen in recent years, you look at the first round over the past few seasons and you get these runs on tackles. Like if you're a starting caliber guy, you go in the first. And so, you know, but with there being so many of them this year, maybe a couple of them fall to the back of that round. And if they don't say you get a Jackson powers, Johnson, or a, you know, a, a Graham Barton at a Duke, like there are some really good linemen who are going to be there. So when you first said that 10 to 31, I kind of cringed, but then I, before you said before you said it, I thought to myself, you know what, thirty one, you are going to get a starter in that spot, so I'd I'd be happy to add Ayuk and then a starting lineman at thirty one.
1: Next question comes in from Hazmat twenty five. He says, "What are the odds that everyone isn't fired, Rogers retires, and Hall, Wilson, JJ, and Sauce are all demanding contracts, while the team enters cap hell in eleven months?" It's a realistic scenario. I don't want it to happen. I don't think any Jets fan does, but we'd be lying if we sat here and said that it couldn't happen. It's absolutely possible that Rodgers comes back. Maybe he's not the same guy, or maybe the team just isn't getting off to a fast enough start. They lose a couple of games, and they end up either not making the playoffs or making the playoffs and getting eliminated right away or something like that, and then Rodgers decides to ride off into the sunset The Jets are right back where they were before, except now in worse shape because of exactly what you said. There's a couple of cheap years that are wasted from that core. And then the Jets are in a bad cap situation because they kicked a bunch of money down the road. So it's certainly possible. But look, buy the ticket, take the ride. You knew that this was the downside potentially of an Aaron Rodgers trade, but you also knew that the upside was very, very high. So it was a gamble. It was one they decided to take and now we'll see if it pays off. Is it possible that what you just outlined happens? Yeah, absolutely. But it's also possible that Rodgers comes back. He's relatively healthy. The Jets make enough moves in the offseason to make the roster palatable. And the Jets go to the playoffs and maybe do something in the playoffs. That could happen too.
2: Yeah, I think it's you know, those those things separately, like those the three the three or four big guys wanting new deals and the possibility of cleaning house and Rogers retired. Um, Those are all things I've discussed, and I think we've talked about it on your show, too, Scott, as sort of separate situations, never really putting them all together for the ultimate doomsday scenario. But um, if we think they're, you know, it's possible they could happen alone and certainly they, you know, it would become one huge offseason catastrophe. Um, You know, for me personally, as I've said before, and the more I look at it, I feel even stronger about it. And I know it's unpopular and a lot of people disagree with me and I'm fine with that. But I'm I'm not as down on Joe Douglas as a lot of a lot of fans are. Um, especially the more you look at sort of drafts throughout the league. I mean, we're Jets fans, so we're hyper focused on the Jets, and we put every player and every pick under the microscope. And every guy that isn't a superstar for some people is a bust. And you know, like like that's the two levels that some people have. You're either a superstar or you weren't worth picking. When in reality, like being an okay, you know, spot starter, mid mid level starter, like those are hits because half a draft picks aren't even that. So if you look at Joe Douglas and you put his picks under a microscope, I don't think he's been as bad as people want him to be or claim he has been. And especially, you know, let's let's say next year, let's say Will McDonald does have his Jermaine Johnson breakout year and Joe Tipman continues to build and Carter Warren wins a swing spot or maybe even a right tackle spot. Like that's, that's three more starters. And, you know, and we've talked about Jamie and Sherwood. I feel like he's, you know, converting from safety. He's gotten a little bit better every year. So I think there are, are he's going to have some hits in, you know, in his resume that put him at, at the very least, you know, or at the very worst sort of average in terms of hit rate. But then when you look at some of the hits, he's above average. Like, you know, just just having, you know, the, as we've talked about with Tipman, right. Uh, all, you know, rookie all pro or sorry, the, the, the rookie all pro team. And you look at Sauce and Garrett and Jermaine and, and Hall and Michael Carter, the corner AVT, you know, minus the injuries like he's drafted a lot of guys. Who are top five or ten in the NFL at their position? So if his hit rate is about average, but then some of those hits are way above average in terms of the level they're at, I'm I'm not I can't get mad at Joe Douglas because AVT and Becton got hurt. Like those are the two biggest things that have hurt his GM. It is his role as a GM. Those are the things that have hurt him most. Is guys getting hurt on the O line? You know, of course, you know Elijah Moore was a, a a problem child in the locker room, so they had to get rid of him. But just from a pure style, talent standpoint, I look at all of a sudden, I think with better coaching, we would have seen more out of these players. So I think they could clean house. But Joe Douglas is the one guy I look at and think, I hope they keep him around because he's, he's hitting where people don't want to give him credit for hitting because guys are getting injured and the coaches aren't developing guys.
1: Next question comes in from JP Waxer. He asks, when Joe Douglas hired Robert Sala, he was lauded for hiring a guy he didn't previously know. But if you look at Sala, he only hires friends from his past. You know how some bosses don't hire anyone that's smarter than they are or could be a threat to them? Isn't that what this is? Well, I don't know Robert Salas, so I can't speculate on that aspect of it, but I will say this. I think most human beings just they're comfortable with people they already know. They know they can work with people they've dealt with in the past. It's a comfortable situation. And you see that a lot in a lot of jobs, including coaching. When you look at a lot of these coaching staffs, you will see a lot of guys that are familiar. Now, one story that I thought was really interesting was when Sean McVay decided to move on from Wade Phillips. He said he wanted a young defensive mind who was a defensive version of him. And so he did an exhaustive search, and it ended up leading him to Brandon Staley, who did a great job with the Rams. I know right now he's much maligned because of everything that went down with the Chargers, but he did a really good job with the Rams, and... He was one of those guys that McVay took a chance on because he felt like Steely would elevate the defense and elevate the coaching staff as a whole. You don't always see that. And I'm not saying it's because Sal is insecure. Maybe he is. I don't know him personally, so maybe that's part of it. But I think it's just a natural human thing. You want to be surrounded by guys that make you comfortable.
2: I think uh, when you're looking at a couple of guys to hire, and one of them is a guy that you've been in the trenches with and you've seen him perform... You have a comfort level of like, okay, I know this guy can do it because I've seen him do it, or I believe he can do it based on the other things I've seen him do. Whereas if you're interviewing a guy you don't know, if it's a, if it's if it's a close call, that comfort level is probably what puts it over the edge because you can sit there and say, I've heard great things about this guy, I like what he's saying, but I've not been I've not been on the sidelines with him on game day. I don't know how he's going to react to pressure. Whereas the other guy I'm considering, I'm comfortable with him. I've seen him do a good job. And it is a shame because I'm sure a lot of times guys get jobs they don't deserve because of friendships. And, you know, that's how you end up with Nathaniel Hackett as your offensive coordinator. But at the end of the day, you know, guys are going to they're going to hire people that they feel they can run a team with. And that that level of comfort is going to be a huge motivating factor
1: that's going to wrap up part one of the mailbag thanks to my buddy Glenn Naughton for joining me to answer some mailbag questions make sure you check out everything Glenn's doing at jetnation.com and follow him on Twitter at jnradio underscore Glenn check out everything we're doing at playlikejet.com and be sure to give us a five star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money but it goes a long way to help us out so if you can go ahead and do that for us we'd be quite grateful and for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast content you know where to go that's play like a jet digital and play like a jet.com
0: lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office